0: Talking Aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with parapsychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello and welcome. I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Our topic today is transhumanism. My guest is James Tunney. He is an attorney specializing in international law and intellectual property rights. He's also something of a renaissance man, a fine artist, a poet, a novelist, and the author of several books, including two dystopian novels, Blue Lies September and Ireland. I don't recognize who she is, as well as some books about mysticism, the mystical accord, sutras to suit our times, lines for spiritual evolution, and the mystery of the trapped light, mystical thoughts in the dark age of scientism. James lives in Gothenburg, Sweden, and now I'll switch to the internet video.
1: Welcome, James. It's a pleasure once again to be with you. Uh, Thank you, Jeff. And I was just thinking that You always give everyone a great introduction in this context. I just want to compliment you. When I look back on the vast body of your work, and when I look at topics like transhumanism and the future, we see that you have done interviews with some of the really main players and pioneers in this area, going back to uh, Minsky and McCarty and even Crick. You've interviewed all all these people and we could add on Dean Brown and Jack Fallet and uh it's a really incredible body of work for people that don't understand that you're the same guy that was in these <laughs> earlier ones in thinking uh, aloud so it's, it's an honor to continue that tradition with you
0: well, thank you, James. And I might add, I was reflecting on that. And I realize I've also interviewed Barbara Marks Hubbard, who was a pioneer in suggesting that humans could begin to control our own biological evolution from a spiritual perspective as, as well as recently Debashish Banerjee. Uh, we did an interview on post-humanism, which is, uh, considered, I think, something of an alternative to transhumanism
1: yes and i suppose also um, michael murphy as well looked at evolution in terms of use of the body in future so there, there are different uh, trends there and you you have you seem to have dealt with them all well, it's a vast,
0: vast field, transhumanism. And I, to be honest, I, I've sort of touched upon it in, in some interviews, but I can hardly claim to begin to understand, uh, the depth and the vastness of it. And I suspect that many of our viewers won't even know what we mean when we use the term transhumanism. So
1: we, we had better begin by defining it. Okay, and as soon as I begin to define it, I know I have to say that it is a contested uh, definition, a contested term. There's loads of different views depending on people's perspectives. But for me, I'd like to to, to suggest a a simple way of seeing it. Uh, It refers to the desire to enhance the biology of humans, to enhance the body with particular goals for particular people it might be to ultimately attain immortality to live longer to stop suffering to restore function to the body there's a whole range of purposes in the context of transhumanism but for me i see it in terms of the prediction that arthur c Clarke made that in the future man and machine would uh, the, the future of evolution was that they would merge together, and I could never figure that out. So I've been interested in it since I read that a long time ago. But if we take on one hand the human and on one hand the machine, the idea is that there is an attractive force between them such that at some stage th- they will merge and the human will disappear because the, there are advantages to the machine, to uh, mechanical forms. That can supplant what was there before and give us opportunity this is the argument and it is it, it derives from a much broader context so although the term was used by uh, julian Huxley in 1957 it really refers to a much older tradition we can go back to ideas of the golem and uh, as it that developed frankenstein and we can go back to long machine by Julien Offrey de la Maitrie in 1747, where he, he, he put forward the argument that man is a machine. And this is the same argument that Minsky and others put forward, that were biological machines. So even within the idea that we're talking about humanity merging with machines, there are many people uh, from a certain scientific and enlightenment perspectives that say, well, man is a machine anyway. So the argument therefore goes that, uh, you are a machine, and if you are not a machine, you will become a machine. So, transhumanism, its advocates would point to the great advantages, and there's no doubt that there are great advantages. Uh, and they will usually, I heard one recent promoter talk recently about that in the future, the blind will see and uh, will be able to walk on water. He was obviously borrowing from Christian concepts there. Uh, but those medical advances are not confined to to this discipline transhumanism because there was a lot of knowledge went into the context of understanding how biology works and healing context motivated by other factors so the the idea is that they're they're moving together some people say that we will still be human we will just be greatly enhanced uh, it, I, I don't believe that argument. I think it's it's posited on a, a very narrow paradigm of the human. And as you mentioned about post humanism, well, the idea which comes from different sources is uh, that involves a deconstruction of the idea of humanity from for a number of different reasons whereby the idea that humans are exceptional or humans are unique or humans are different from animals will be deconstructed and the humanism that we talked about in our previous interviews begins to, to disappear.
0: I know you're also influenced by, by many of the original thinkers in this field. One of them is Lewis Mumford who has been a, a critic of transhumanism. And uh, as I look at some of his work, I see he also sees society itself as a big machine, a mega machine, and that uh, humans become sort of cogs in
1: the great uh, watchwork of society. That's right. Lewis Mumford is one of the great anticipators. And he said that he hopes that on his gravestone, someone writes this man was a fool on the basis that his predictions did not come true. But unfortunately, he wasn't a fool. And, and he, he saw the consequences, not just with high technology, but with the motor car, for example. He understood how the motor car had changed society in the 20th century and how our whole world view, how you think the wars in the Middle East, etc., and the quest for oil and infrastructure, the changing of cities, urbanization, were altered by the, by the car. So... Yes, we have to consider not just machines, but the machinery of society, and that's where people like Bernal are important when they talk about the science of science. So I'm very sympathetic towards uh, Mumford's critique of megatechnics and and the mega machine and the idea that we will be steered by a machine. So there's two. So we can put that idea on top of our humankind machine thing. The idea that there's a machine which operates us, uh, and also. The other great critic was C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis, uh, from a different perspective, mixed it was around the scientist and understood where this was going, and he he anticipated a lot of uh, these arguments in, in books like *The Abolition of Man*, where he said, for example that if you look, he seemed to suggest a perennialist tradition, which I would be sympathetic towards. He didn't emphasize Christian views or his views of God. He he referred back to the Tao, and he said that there is a Tao in human and worldly experience which applies to all cultures, which all cultures recognize. And putting forward the perennial argument, he said that the failure to adhere to the Tao, to the way, uh, consistent with uh, a perennial uh, philosophy... Uh, will mean that we will will destroy ourselves in particular uh, because of focusing unduly on the idea of science as the cure-all and of course when I'm talking about science here I'm not criticizing science per se I'm criticizing scientism and I'm certainly not criticizing the transhumanists themselves many of them are motivated by fantastic uh, for for good reasons we can't put them all in the same box and I've come to know um, uh, individuals who are in that kind of world who have good intent. So I'm I'm not trying to tar them all with the same brush. We have to be careful. I would like to persuade people that are in the high technology context that human evolution without the idea of spiritual consciousness can never be correct, that that there has to be spiritual consciousness as the base. And if we take away that idea, our evolution uh, won't continue. So there is a split A fork in the road between an idea of exclusive development by scientific and technological means, which inevitably tends towards a Scientocracy, and we're not far off it, as I warned about last year in our conversation, or spiritual evolution combined with a proper sense.
0: Let's talk for a bit about your own personal journey, James. I know you've, you've studied this as, uh, as a lawyer, as a barrister, a, a specialist in international law. But in addition to that, you've, you're an individual who refuses to use a cell phone and almost, uh, you know, over a billion people on the planet now, maybe two billion are using cell phones. So you've taken a personal stand.
1: There's a lot of people using a lot of things, and are not always good for them. And if you think of the notion from from your disciplines about dependency, it's very, very clear that we become dependent on on, on these technologies. So I remember when I was in London, and uh, I was working in a pub, and someone came in with one of these. I think it was an early Vodafone, and put it on the counter. Uh, it was in, in the city of London, and it was a real surprise. So that was the exception. Now I'm the exception because I don't have a mobile phone. So the, where we can be in 20 years or 10 years or five years, we shouldn't underestimate the degree of change because a, a critical factor in this is digitization, the idea of interaction and convergence of different technologies that were hitherto discrete. They all end up coming together and we have the, uh, a network, and associated with the network, we have ideas like Metcalfe's law, which, which suggests a kind of almost exponential growth of the network to, by bringing more people in. So the nature of networks, the structures, will bring people in. And as it becomes uh, pervasive and it proliferates, we become dependent on it. So your choice to engage in it uh, is not easily available. So that exponential growth is inherent in the, in the creation of the system. But it's not, it doesn't happen of its own accord. It happens because people have decided that that's the way it should be. Now, so I'm not against technology. I've been very interested in technology, uh, from the time I read Arthur C. Clarke and I agreed with everything until he said that the future evolution of mankind was the, uh, the merging with, with, with machine. And I couldn't figure that out. And it's taken me a long time to figure that out. I studied in Trinity, qualified as a barrister, and then wanted to study more. So I went over to the University of London where we had access to great teachers and uh, King, King's College and Imperial College and Queen Mary College. And, and I was focusing on uh, communication technology. And I subsequently set up a degree program in European business law with the help of others, but drove that forward. And I put in uh, the, the courses, the new courses we, we set up, modules and communication technology law and i taught them and, and ones which are international and that was associated also with my interest in in world trade and I, I, so i've taught in in law context in business schools and i taught part-time in st andrew's in international relations and i was trying to argue that you can't look at discrete areas because the factors are influencing all the different factors so the disciplines are converging as well but unfortunately we have specialists so I, I tried to do things and Ray Kurzweil, who who is a great uh, anticipator of a lot of these trends in relation to singularity, says, Yeah, timing is critical. My timing was bad because sometimes I was before my time. I tried to set up a legal journal which would be online, which the universities could do at the time, so well people would be able to access interviews. This was before podcasts, but People didn't really think there was a need for that or a use for that. Um, And I I read an article, an academic article, from someone, an enlightened person who had been at one of my talks. And they they said it was in Edinburgh University. They didn't understand what I was talking about at the time or that they didn't accept it. But a few years later, they're beginning to wonder whether I was right. So I, I, I thought that the universities were a bit slow to change. So outside the universities, we might. So I'm not against technology. Uh, I'm in favor of technology. I'm in favor of technology for communication purposes in particular, Um, but I think there's a danger. We've become dependent, and our choice to come out of it, it's a vortex. The convergence of forces, the movement with artificial intelligence, with the uh, cybernetics, we're being sucked into a vortex that we won't be able to come out of, unfortunately, because there, there are not enough people to say, well, hold on a second, what are the consequences of this? And the consequences are not good in my in in my view. Now let's talk about the
0: origins of of this idea of transhumanism. Uh, I think it, as you started to point out, it goes back well before Julian Huxley, but he was associated with people like Haldane and 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 Bernal, who and and then there are the Russian cosmists a, as well in the 1920s who were uh, concerned then we already had gone through an industrial revolution and and they began to envision what was about to happen
1: you're right on that and uh, we can even not not to to, to posit a a clear distinction between the spiritual path and the technological path we can't really do that because if we look back at the early taoists a lot of their goal was to overcome physical limitations to seek immortality and if we look at the Gnostics, we see the Gnostics wanted to overcome the body in, in many senses. And if we see in Buddhism, and even in contemporary Buddhism, they have similar values in relation to overcoming suffering, overcoming the body. So uh, that is, it's always been there in the spiritual traditions as well, and in magic traditions. But... I I would point to the 1920s as a critical period, as you've indicated, in relation to the evolution of ideas about transhumanism. And we had at that time, the figures that you've mentioned, Haldane was important. And at the end of the decade, we had H.G. Wells, who wrote The Open Conspiracy, who told us about the Scientocracy that is happening. And he's probably delighted to see the progress uh, in in the century since then. That scientism sh- or scient uh, scientists should take over the world and run it because the experts know better, and a re- so H. G. Wells lived on the Euston Road near Russell Square, and another figure who lived around there in the Bloomsbury area of London, near the British Museum, near where Marx was, near where Trotsky met Lenin—all that we've talked about before in our in, in our talk on esoteric geography—was the uh, Irish-born scientist John Desmond Bernal, and he is a very very interesting and critical figure so he was he came from uh, ireland he went to uh, cambridge he studied crystallography and he wrote a number of significant books on on science which are are, are critical today he wrote the world the flesh the devil Uh, the title is used in a number of different contexts because it comes from the book of common prayer it's it's the the problems that christians have to overcome but he he put a different twist on it so he used that book to indicate uh, the future and where science should go in the future. He was very, very clear that science should run the world. And he, he said that scientific corporations should get on with their business. Scientists should get on with their business. And in the future, scientific corporations would be more powerful than states. And at that stage, they could dictate what was was going on. Um, he believed that man, humankind, had to overcome Physiology uh, overcome biology by made or becoming machines. That was a critical uh, part of of, of his, his idea. And in the end of that book, it's, it, it's a bit sinister in my view. He, he says that if people, you tell people what's happening when when it's already decided, and if people don't want to go ahead or, or join in with the scientists and the people that support that uh world view well they'll be left behind and he even talks about he also talks about and anticipates this breakaway civilization idea by saying that it was necessary for us to expand in the universe i'm i'm very happy with that view but it seems to be in a context where they're leaving the earth behind as a, a kind of lost cause that was the kind of subtext i got but he said that the earth would be useful as a human zoo to, to, to perform experiments on, on the people who are left. So it, it's it's a, it's a viewpoint that I, I can't su- subscribe to, and it indicates the uh, an idea which goes back to Henri de saint Simone and other figures about the superiority of the scientific method being a pervasive method, that we just go at that and nothing else. There's nothing to balance it. Uh, and he also wrote another book about the nature of science uh, itself and the significance of science, which has become a critical book in a number of countries around the world, not least in China, because uh, it explains how you manage or why you should manage the infrastructure of science. So this is the machine on the machine. So figures like that, uh, Wells, him, were knocking around, and he influenced uh, Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke agreed with a lot of uh, ideas of, of Bernal, uh, and, and Bernal also influenced Crick and Watson in his studies in, in uh, x-ray crystallography he, he was influential so he's a very very he's a very clever man uh, uh, he was a, a communist uh, he supported Stalin but he also worked on the D-Day landings and, and supported the, the Normandy landing so it's a kind of complex uh, co- uh, contradiction but insofar as he expresses a very uh, purest view of, of, of science and technology and where we are going and associated with that is this idea that you see in Kurzweil as well and I'm not I'm not putting them in the same boat at all but the idea of exponential growth which makes it inevitable that we have to join up with superintelligence, intelligence uh, we see a viewpoint that I don't sus- subscribe to.
0: Well, there are so many different threads we could follow here. I think one of the important ones is the idea that there's going to be a, what they call a singularity, that at some point, the world of machines will become more intelligent than the world of humans, and the machines will, in effect, be in charge.
1: Well, that's correct. There's no, th- That is correct, unfortunately. It's correct not because of inher- any inherent quality in technology itself. It's correct because if you look at the evolution of that scienti- scientific paradigm and we add in cybernetics. And interestingly, Bernal lived in Torrington Square off Russell Square, and across the road, the uh, cybernetic group, the Ratio Club with Turing and that, met after the war. Now, war is important in this because. During wartime, a wartime economy operates in different ways and people can see logistically different ways of doing things. But cybernetics, uh, artificial intelligence and transhumanism begin to, again, get mixed up uh, because they're all really representations of an an idea, an enlightenment idea and a longer held idea about the evolution and how we should have uh, evolution in the future. So, uh, we, we must always look at that that wider view. You know, uh, I'm thinking about uh, one of my
0: dissertation advisors when I was studying parapsychology at Berkeley was C. West Churchman. He was a systems theorist, and he wrote a book called "The Systems Approach and Its Enemies." and And the systems approach, of course, is the application of science and mathematics to running uh businesses and, and to running governments and to running the world. And he said the enemies include things like religion and politics uh, and then he went on to talk about how we really need those enemies. They're very important. On the other hand, another critic I, I think is Buckminster Fuller, and yet at the same time he would argue that the technologists would do a much better job of running the world than the politicians.
1: Yes and also if I think in terms of, because I worked in business schools I had to engage with people in context about management accounting which is very interesting and study people like Deming and his idea of total quality management and the use of statistics to achieve results and there are profound insights from the, those areas so it's very very important in relation to understand systems and of course cybernetics is about understanding systems but it's the concept as you know uh, goes back to the idea of steering things so here we see the idea of governance again and all these uh, ideas suggest some idea of control and control and communication and utilizing feedback loops and utilizing analogies with the the biological world so they they do emerge around ideas of of information but the problem is it it suggests a presumption a foundational view of what consciousness is now in this in this evolution and a contemporary evolution a move towards post-humanism we see this force of deconstruction which says that you are not uh, a human that you have no self you are not a person uh, and they begin to de- deconstruct you have no consciousness there's no such thing as consciousness now for me Consciousness is the critical thing for all the the great perennial traditions. Consciousness, spiritual consciousness, is the driving force. All the other things are mere manifestations of that great uh, consciousness. That's what C.S. Lewis was talking about, referring to the Tao as the basis of all these and and, and these. Well, consistent. I'm looking at your 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 colourful Tao as well. It's it's a, an idea that you share in, in in some senses as well about about. Uh, Taoism and, and, and di- different forces. So, uh, the, 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 uh, the failure in my view is the, a kind of narrow computational view which fails to see other values. And there is an inherent mindset of a kind of technocratic mind. And technocracy is another function. In the United States, we had the technocracy movement and the idea of technotronics, and the idea that there was going to be a movement towards a technotronic society. Uh, Brzezinski and other people uh, promoted that idea. But it was consistent with Bernal. So in all these different functions, we have an idea that the scientist knows best, the technocrat knows best, the expert knows best. If only they can join together, they can manage everything. And then when they manage everything, they can take all the bad bits out and they they do suggest that. So we can take all them bad things out, all those anger things. We never have to put up with nasty people anymore. And that's the, that's the fear that Anthony Burgess recognized in A Clockwork Orange. The idea and the, the undertone of that was that if you take away the bad bits, well, then we're not human. But then, again, if the people don't want us to be human, it's going to end up in that way. So it depends on what your fundamental paradigm is. My argument and my one argument is that we need spiritual evolution. That's, that's, that's what the problems come from. And Chesterton noted this. He said, it's funny, they." he criticized these scientists because he said, well, they say that man is flawed, so all they want to do is change man into a different version. And, and uh, George Bernard Shaw seemed to support that as well.
0: You know, when I was... A graduate student in criminology before I went into parapsychology at Berkeley, where I was, we had a radical school of criminology, and they had this idea that if we could reduce crime, if we would only institute more programs of social justice, that, that crime largely flowed from the injustices in society itself. And they thought of this as a form of social engineering and then they would complain, but the politicians don't like social engineering and we're never going to be able to get our ideas put across. And and It only took a couple of years after I entered the School of Criminology before Ronald Reagan became governor of California and they actually cancelled the entire School of Criminology at, at Berkeley. They just got rid of it completely.
1: I think he, if if he came back, he'd probably cancel a lot more these days. <laughs> it wouldn't be just in Berkeley, but uh, the uh, yes, I mean there is a there is a problem, and, and there is a problem about the psychology of utopianism uh, and the idea. Uh, the, there is a utopian idea underpinning all this scientific idea, and the problem with utopian views is it depends on what your premise is. Uh, Christopher Hitchens' brother. Peter Hitchens said that he used to be uh, on the far left, the Trotskyist, and he said we always had the the, the idea that we would wade through a sea of blood to get to the utopia. And that's the problem with utopias. There's a big price to pay to get there. And then you get there and you say, well, is this really what we want? So as well as that, we have uh, experiments uh, conducted by people without sufficient regard to the complexity of the situation. For example, I, went, I remember studying criminology uh, as well. Uh, I had a woman who became Irish president, Mary McAleese, taught us uh, criminology uh, for a while. I think I think she, went, she was off for a while at the time having a, a, a child. Uh, I also had a, se- a second teacher who was Ar- Irish president as well, Mary Robinson. But uh, when I studied criminology, one of the most simple explanations that I came across was that Criminals used in a capitalist society usually le- use illegitimate means to attain socially legitimate ends You know, this is a simple explanation for it uh, And we have to consider that in this social engineering idea some of the motivations are calculated to take away valuable ideas of individual responsibility so other people know better than you and when I talk, when I was over in America, and I was talking to some people with probably a different political persuasion f- f- from you, and I was trying to understand their mindset. There seems to be a great fear of groups of people knowing better than them and wanting to to run their lives. And funny enough, in the technocratic context or in the transhumanist context, there's a lot of transhumanists who who are motivated by this libertarian idea as well. So we can't we can't say that all the people who are behind this are trying to oppress other people or have that mindset. In fact, many of them are great innovators and they believe that it's because of their individuality that this movement forward is happening. I suppose it's a bit consistent with the heroes that Ayn Rand would have.
0: In our previous discussions on mysticism, James, you make a point of emphasizing the importance of individual sovereignty that each person is ultimately responsible for themselves. That seems to be one, one of the core principles of the mystical approach. Is, as you see it, how do you reconcile that with the transpersonal or trans, not transpersonal, transhumanist
1: movement? As long as we were talking about people exploring their abilities, is one thing. The problem is that these technologies converge. So, you come along, you say, here, I can drill a hole in your skull and put in and you'll be able to recite Shakespeare, etc. And you'll, you'll, you'll be very, very wise. And uh, uh, that's fine. But these technologies will be utilized to control people. I don't have, have any doubt about that. They will come together as control mechanisms. So that which seems to liberate us will, will come to imprison us. I don't want any, any things inside me head. I don't want anyone drilling holes in me head to put in some links. I don't want to have be upgraded and have the encyclopedia Brit- Britannia downloaded into my brain. I don't see. They talk about super intelligence. Uh, well, why don't we use the intelligence that we have uh, at, at this point? So mystics argue that we do have access to different realities. And we don't need these uh, technologies in some, in some senses. And the idea that we can evolve and we should evolve spiritually is to cl- claim and reclaim the full extent of our human and spiritual potential. So the individuality is the way we are now, the, the, the way we are with the potential to evolve in that context. We have evolved uh, up to now and we can continue to evolve. If we implement a control system with cybernetics and artificial intelligence, etc., that possibility is thwarted. And we also have the, the danger that as your brain is emulated, that you'll be living for eternity in some machine somewhere, and that, that if that happened, now I don't see that happening uh, like that, but the idea that you would be subject to control of the machine is a frightening one that people should consider, and in fact another the person that you interviewed John Lilly, although he's associated with consciousness stud- studies he he came to that position after having worked in research in these areas about controlling brain function, and there was a great crossover between kind of human potential movement and you know, the the state and their investigations. And he believed it was possible. And he did experiments with animals. And as you know, he experimented with the dolphins. And that was about controlling people's mind. We, uh, We have to also consider from the 20s, people like Lipman and Bernays that talked about the fact that we are controlled by invisible government anyway, because experts know how to manipulate us. And there's no doubt about that. It's easy to manipulate us. So from that period... Uh, as well from the 1920s, we have this idea of controlling the individual, and now it will get easier for them. I I, I would predict that in a few in, in quite soon you'll begin to read reports about mobile phones causing brain cancer that are dangerous, so that we can move on to the implant. You won't have any choice because you will be so your life is so integrated. Your, your your point of contact into the system is controlled now by these devices. That one thought was liberating. That you won't have any choice but to be tied into the network, and we can we can have a, we can do away with all those messy things and all those messy elements of human nature. But we are dependent on them, and that's a great danger. And that's what Mumford foresaw in relation to the idea of megatechnics. Te- so, so especially as will happen, there will be a digital currency uh, that 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 will come, and you won't be able to opt out. You won't be able to eat in many contexts. Uh, in my view, if it gets to a certain point, there's surely loads of benefits we can put forward on the other side. But that's my fear about that direction. But to, to, to finish off, the mystic believes that the evolution should be in spiritual terms, evolving through compassion, evolving through uh, r- responsibility towards each other, uh, evolving through empathy, uh, utilizing the powers that we have, learning off indigenous people about their knowledge of plants Look at the Amazon. It's been destroyed by technology. Uh, 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 technology is destroying the, the Amazon. In the Amazon, there are cures for God knows what there. We know we, that has been, that's kind of known. People know how to use these. They, they have known how to, how to use the plants and, and the medicines there for a long period of time. We should benefit from, from their knowledge. We should utilize the spiritual and uh, embedded uh, view in relation to the ecology and also the people who have provided the technology that destroys the planet are hardly going to be the people that will save it
0: you're suggesting in a way that things are inevitable that uh, we pretty soon we're going to be forced to have implants And and if you look at the history of technology from ancient times, you could go back thousands of years and see that technology has continually progressed. I've done many interviews with my friend Jason Reza Giorgiani, who suggests that we are being entranced by the, the spirit of technology, which he identifies with Prometheus, uh, who, who gave fire to humans and that we need to become conscious of, of this and, and break out of the trance or, or there will be no stopping it.
1: Well, I'd agree with him on that point. And when we're talking about transhumanism, notice it could be trans, humanism that that we are in the trance we are in, in entranced by it and you were talking with uh, i think it was Baron Castro about the weasel or the on his coat of arms or something and and the the weasel or the stoat is very interesting when they attack say rabbits or, or as a predator and they do so by bewildering the rabbit so they jump around and jump up and down and the rabbit doesn't know what to do. It's confused, it's hypnotized, and then they attack it. It's an interest, an interesting strategy. Um, so confusion is very, very important. I believe that we're living in a permanent cultural revolution. Uh, and the idea of permanent revolution from Trotsky, for example, Trotsky was another one. Who believed that we would all be these technocratic individuals, this trans, that, that transhumanism was happening. And it's, it, it's, for me, as I've said before, the left and the right want the same thing, that they're, they're heading towards the same forces. And young people believe that the world will be in a particular way. They should look at what they, the, 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 the leaders of these movements actually said. So from left and right, from a very materialist perspective, it leads to this, transhumanist uh, objective Uh, and uh, I think that the idea of a permanent cultural revolution is is interesting in the terms of hypnosis the idea of a kind of confusion induction on milton erickson the, i confuse you i talk a bit strangely and then your your mind wants to reconcile reconcile things that are di- diverse is your left hand is warm as your right all this kind of stuff you get confused and you want resolution so by the time the resolution comes you're ready for it and you'll jump to it you know, the, the solution to this problem is you get your little implants whatever now there's an, you've talked in, in your in Present series about about prediction and when prophecy fails uh, so a prediction for me is when i bet on something uh I, I, I don't bet my father said to me that he didn't want me to gamble so i do it very rarely i did bet on trump in the first election because i believed that uh, the information wasn't adequate i thought he was going to win that's a prediction a prophecy is where you say, in my view, if we follow this path, this will happen. So it's more like, for me, scenario planning. That if you don't think about it and you walk down that road, you will get to that result. And that follows on from William James and his pra- pragmatic idea, look at the consequences of something. So I don't say it's, it's inevitable. I don't say that uh, 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 one has to be fearful about these. I My argument is that if we don't wake up to our spiritual destiny if we don't recognize the powers we don't recognize the powers that parapsychology is 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 evidencing for example or or identifying as there if we don't do that well then we 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 have to cede our sovereignty to this network the network will grow and the one point that is important certainly exponential growth drives this but that exponential growth was built on a whole range of factors such as the legal system, the world trade system, the information technology agreement from the World Trade Organization reduced to zero tariffs on a number of goods on a schedule of 400 items that led to an explosion of technological growth without which exponential growth wouldn't continue. So human agency and the machine agency is making things inevitable. That's all. I want people to look at how they interact with these things and not be passive. So, I, 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 I support that idea. I'm, I'm not inconsistent with that idea at all.
0: On the other hand, I hear from viewers who sound really paranoid that uh, they feel they don't have choice in their life, that the elites are already controlling everything they do. It, it strikes me that the paranoia doesn't help either, it's another form
1: of a trance. I'm against that, yes. I, I, I think when you begin to put yourself into a victim mentality, you ready yourself for a sacrifice. And that's what the concept of a victim is. So, yeah, I, I don't support this idea oh, well, we can't do anything about whatever. The, the, my whole point is that people have to become agents in a positive way in society, they have to take ownership of their own life, of their own spirit. And the, the natural evolution of spiritual growth and mystical growth is to make a contribution. That's what defines all the great mystics in history. They go, they go off into the cage, but they come back with something. This is the hero's journey. This is what all the mystics do. They're not, as you talked about before and many times in relation to Maslow, they are high performing people. They're not people that are incapable of doing things. So spiritual evolution, one's own individual evolution, is necessary to make people contribute. So I have great faith in people's potential. And I, I don't believe and I don't subscribe to that idea that uh, there's nothing that we can do. And I also want to persuade some of the people who are players in, in, in this domain that there's a different way to do it. And that if an unduly narrow purist approach is followed that it will lead to disaster, that there needs to be a balanced uh, approach to this, and that we we, we want to uh, convince people. But we can't do that through propaganda alone. We have to involve people, and people have to contribute. It's the same as my idea that I've espoused in other contexts about the uh, congregation of light that Eckhart Housen talked about uh, in The Cloud Upon the Sanctuary. The idea that there are people there who recognize each other and will recognize each other when they begin their mystical evolution so the greatest network to protect us all is an invisible network a network that can't be captured of individuals evolving on their own not dependent on institutions because the institutions have failed us in my view whether it be the catholic church or uh, the scholars in islam uh, or the uh, the protestant uh, theoreticians who follow on from john nelson darby another irish man talking about the rapture etc i think they're missing the big points that they're not engaged in, in society and I, I i've encouraged people and people who are in those systems to rise above their systems and look at uh, the perennial philosophy look at factors which Influence everybody, and and for other people that sit at home and say, oh, "Well, I can't do anything." Well, of course they can. And the power of the individual, the individual has the most powerful thing in the universe that we know of, which is consciousness, and that consciousness is a creative force that, unleashed and applied, can solve all the problems we have. But if we don't believe in it, it's like you talk about sheep and goats and in the, in the in the experiments. If we don't believe in it, it's not going to work and we create a self-fulfilling prophecy. And maybe some people just do want to have the implant so they become very intelligent and sit back and avoid all the problems.
0: It's, it's tricky. Uh, I know this is a very delicate and a vast subject. We're going to have to return to it several times, I think, to, to really plumb its steps. I have an implant. I have a pacemaker implanted it helps r- run my heart and and honestly I'm grateful
1: for it so uh, of course it's not in my brain <laughs> of course you should be and the uh, that implant came about not necessarily because of the transhumanist movement it came about because there has been a long tradition of people studying the body studying the heart studying anatomy that knew what had to be do- done and when the technology evolved, uh, and people contributed and we have invention and the patent system. There's a whole collaborative network and history that led to that. So the same thing happened in the Reformation where we had a lot of uh, knowledge and medical knowledge which was in the monasteries and there had to be a re-establishment afterwards when the hospital system and the school system broke down and it was done but it never acknowledged the great contributions and the great knowledge that was there from uh, for, since time immemorial. And in that context the restoration of sight brings a person back to, if you like, the normal expectations. Uh, a pacemaker brings back a person to the normal expectations. That's different from the idea that you have the capacity to be able to jump 200 meters in the sky with your with your new uh, implants with different things. So we have to be careful. These arguments are used all the time it's like a sweet shop and you've heard about you remember hansel and gretel and the 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 the, the house and the candy house and inside might not be so <laughs> be so as uh, attractive uh, as some of these contexts so i'm, I'm grateful that uh, you got the pacemaker we're grateful for technology we're grateful that we can talk talk now but there's a whole range of influences and values that created the conditions that make that And we shouldn't get too dogmatic or too specific uh, and we shouldn't have too much Uh, belief in the ability and knowledge of experts to have a holistic view which is something beyond the, the, the computational mere computational the mere mechanistic powers of the machine
0: well james Tunney, i'm very grateful that we're going to continue our discussions that our viewers on new thinking aloud can expect to hear from you several more times in the future to discuss this and uh, Related topics and I'm grateful for your friendship as well
1: Uh, I'm always as I said grateful because of the 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 range of your experience and I'd encourage People that haven't looked back at the catalog that you have to look back at 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 the interviews a vast range And there's a whole there's a whole tapestry there that people can examine you don't have to accept The views but you can follow the chain of your interest you can utilize as a an opportunity to follow patterns that are important for you in your own life to 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 weave or to understand your own systems and there's a there's a great repository of knowledge there from the interviews uh, that that people should be grateful for that i'm grateful for that that was useful for me in answering some of the questions so I, i would just encourage your viewers and also say that I'm very uh, grateful to have met or to to have communications with many of your viewers. You have a a fantastic uh, viewing uh, audience from a great range of perspectives who have shared some fascinating insights with me.
0: Well, James, thank you so much for being with me. And for those of you watching or listening, thank you for being with us.